Hello and welcome everybody to a new episode of the Advanced Real Estate Talk. It's Aurelien. Um, I launched a course. You're welcome to go check it out. It's going to be in the show notes. Uh, it's about starting out in real estate investing as a way to create wealth. I'm here with Darcy, darcywatt.ca and uh, Glenn, glennsutherland.com. Glenn has a course as well about investing in the U.S., so today we will be discussing why should you or shouldn't you invest using a HELOC. So personally, I've never used a HELOC. I've used, but I've heard of people using credit cards. And oh. I think as long as you have a solid exit plan to reimburse this expensive form of debt, but sometimes, you know, we can get those offers, uh, 12 months, 0% balance transfer with uh, 2%. If you can do your rehab during that period of time and make sure that the bank or you can that you can sell or that the bank is going to refinance, the seasoning period is no longer than this. Then, then uh, and if you've done a conservative underwriting and you have a good team lined up for the execution, uh, then I think uh, I think you could do that. But personally, I don't have experience with uh, with HELOC. But my general advice and thought and intuition would be: make sure your underwriting is conservative, uh, that you have the the proper timelines uh, to refinance out of it. That's smart. No, I um, I actually did that a couple, before COVID. I went and bought a house on my credit card or a house in the credit on a credit card, and then uh, you know. Uh, refinanced it and paid off the credit card all within the under the year. And uh, Bob's your uncle, right? As long as you can get, uh, as long as you have a high enough credit limit um, to do it. Um, so I was just talking to Darcy about this before we started, and um, about the you know should you use a HELOC or not use a HELOC. And originally, I started a whole list of all the downsides about why a HELOC isn't going to work out, and. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that, like I, to be let's open, be completely frank here. Whenever I did my first couple properties in the U.S., I used a HELOC. So, mm-hmm. um, if I wouldn't have used the HELOC, how would I have done those properties? Like that's where you go. How? Where is it? Like you know, like in all honesty, whenever I started in the U.S., I had my money that I had of actual money was tied up in Canadian properties. I didn't yeah. have cash. My cash yeah. was working, right? So I didn't have any money, right? Uh, per se, I had equity and I had, um, you know, in properties, but I didn't have any cash. Um, so yeah, what? How do you do this? How do you get started if you don't have any cash? Because you're gonna need some cash somewhere, right? And like we were talking, I think it was last week or the week before, and we were talking about you need to have proof of concept before you actually even start. So you need to start with something somehow. And um, unless you've got a good buddy who's willing to take the ride with you on the first roller coaster, um, the first track that's ever been done, um, because yeah. the first one is the risky one, uh, you're going to need something. You need something to get this, right? Um, yeah, so- I, I, I'd acknowledge, Glenn, too. I started with a homeowner's line of credit. Actually, my first purchase was three years worth of tax returns from CRA. I was so shamefully behind on my taxes. I knew I, they owed me money. But my first deal was when I finally got three years of tax returns and these three checks, almost 30 grand, I used that for my first purchase. And then the next one was the homeowner's line of credit. I mean, think of it. How would you save 50 grand in cash? I know a handful of people that have done it. My sister and brother-in-law, they bought their house cash. 
that was back in the nineties and in Edmonton where you could buy a house for, you know, under in modest six figures numbers. Yeah. So how'd you do it? You're talking to Ari or talking to no, Glenn. Sorry. I, I interrupt, but I, I just want to say <laughs> I did the same thing. I had to, I had to, where else do you get cash? Yeah, no, uh, that's, that's exactly it. Right. So I, I did, I used my line of credit. Um, so there is some advantages to using your line of credit. So I'm going to go into those a little bit. So first of all, like compared to using like a loan from the bank, you've got a lot less strings, which, you know, you can do whatever you want to do with it, right? It's mm -hmm. basically, it's as close to cash you can have only you have payments on this cash, right? Um, you can do nice, fast closings, right? So um, you want to be competitive, uh, you know, taking on uh, other people's offers, you know, I can close really fast because I'm doing it all in, you know, cash really, but it's not really cash. It's a line of credit, right? But it works the same as cash, right? Um, so you can do cash purchases. You're not going to be qualifying for this. They're not checking your DSCR. They're not checking your debt coverage ratios. They're not checking nothing because there's nobody checking, right? So uh, you don't have any points. You don't have any origination, any loan setup fees. There's a whole lot of perks to doing this, right? Because you're not dealing with all that junk, right? Um, mm -hmm. There's also opportunity costs. Um, if you didn't use your line of credit, um, you're not like what's the cost to doing nothing <laughs> right there's the other side of that right there's always the cost of doing nothing um another thing to think about is your line of credit it's a bunch of equity that you have in your property and whether you believe this or not um your return on your equity is zero right that money isn't working by doing uh either a refinance or using a line of credit is a way to make your money work that that equity that's in your property, maybe I shouldn't call it money. The equity in your property, you can actually put it to work, right? Um, but there is downsides to this, right? This is going to affect your future loans, right? This is gonna affect your, uh, what do they call it? Debt coverage ratio, debt service ratio, because now it shows you have a whole bunch of debt because it shows up differently than if you were using a mortgage, right? Um, yeah. But you can pay this back at any time. So if like you're doing like Ari said, and you have a plan like you're doing a, a three-month renovation and then a, a refi at a month six, um, sure, you could have this money paid back uh, and it's just a, a small amount of time that it's doing this, right? So like I said, when I started this, there was, when I started thinking about this topic, I basically built out a list of why you shouldn't do it. <laughs> um, and if you are uh, like, well, the way I look at a line of credit now or a home equity line of credit, is I think of it as um, trying to be politically correct with this, but oh crap money, right? It's if something goes wrong, you have money to bail yourself out. If you have a private loan, you need to pay them off. You could use that money to pay it off, make sure everything goes perfectly for your private lenders. And then in a month when the, your, you know, the actual property closes, you can fix everything back. It just, it smooths out some of the real estate stuff. So that's, I don't use it anymore. I use it as um, you know, available cash to make sure everything goes smoothly, right? But the hard part about this when you start is it's going to make you feel poor. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> because a lot of times the payments for that are coming from you. It's going to come from like your nine to five income is how you're making these payments. It's going to be tough. Um, like even think about myself, like when I started investing in the United States, so I'm getting paid a cash flow in U.S. currency. Am I bringing back that money every single month to make my payments 
for the, the home equity line of credit. It's tough, right? Uh, ideally, you want to wait until the dollar's at the good spots, right? To, to move your money back and forth. You don't want to do, um, the banks love it to, for you to move money every single month, um, basically ride the exchange rate wherever it is. And it mm -hmm. shows for them that, you know, hey, this is, this is how much profit there is. So you can see them taking it back every single month. But honestly, I don't like doing that even to this day. I'd rather wait and pull a year's worth of salary when the dollar is like soaring high, right? And then I'll just live off of that for a year and then yeah, I'll wait you for can. another good time, right? No, that's I, smart. I don't want to deal with it, right? With whatever it's happening at that certain time, right? Um, but it's, it's tough to pay your bills because if you run like that, because, you know, a lot of times you're going, oh, I'm using my money in my bank account to pay this line of credit for this property that's in a different country, right? So the other thing about this, um, and I know if you're used to doing loans, you're going to say, well, this you're going to have this on every loan, but you're going to personally guarantee this loan, right? Like it basically, right? That is on your home equity line of credit. Is the bank, if that property goes upside down, um, are they just going to forgive that home equity line of credit? Nope. That is tied to you. Uh, you stop making your payments. I'm sure they'll uh, start repoing vehicles and doing all the, the stuff to because you it's a personal loan, right? It's uh, it's on you, right? So you're taking that. It's not a non-recourse loan. It's nothing like that. It's coming from you. So you are personally responsible for this, right? Um, and because of this, well, maybe I'll go back a bit. Remember at the start when I was talking about um, there's no qualifying, you know, you don't have to deal with debt service ratios. You don't have to worry about this. There is nobody looking over your shoulder to help you as well. Then no one's going to tell you that you're buying something that's garbage. No one's going to tell you it doesn't meet their loan criteria because it's garbage. So people, honestly, when they have cash in a lot of cases, get lazy and they just yeah. buy stuff that isn't actually a, a really good deal. They'll buy stuff that's pretty good, gives them a bit of cash flow, hit some numbers, but they don't dig in, right? If you have investors, you have to make sure you hit all these numbers, right? So you can get lazy with this. You can make mistakes. You can be, have wrong rent comps because no one's checked them. The lender didn't check them. You can mm -hmm. have wrong ARVs because no lenders check this. And, you know, you're on, it's the wild west. Your responsibility is for to doing this yourself, right? And if you don't do it, the only person that's going to suffer is you. Right. Yeah. Whereas you have someone to look over, right? You have someone to give permission, right? Whereas right now you're giving permission to yourself to go use this, right? So, yeah. No would you say, you would say, I think it's worth picking up here that the a fixed term instrument, a fixed mortgage from a bank that comes with these guidelines and, and references and amount of bunch of work of people scrutinizing it is a reflection of the way they perceive the, um, liability or the risk, right? So that you'll get a lower interest rate potentially because they built in a whole lot of assumptions about uh, security and risk. Whereas with your line of credit, as Glenn says, it's going to float and you're just going to do what you do. So if you're not covering your mortgage interest payments or your mortgage coverage ratio is one or 1.1, those are numbers the banks will not consider. 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, depending on the risk, location, industry, those are more realistic numbers. And they want to make sure you're well, you well exceed the coverage because they know you're going to pay yourself and feed your family and starve them if it comes down to it. Yep. So they want to make sure you can feed your family first or feed them first and then your family. Yeah, they're um, going to cover their butt, which is your butt. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I do think there's like to, to go back to what I think where Glenn opened there because I spent some time thinking about that the when and the where and the why you might use this. Um, when you should use it is when you must. If there's such a great deal and you're so confident about it, and you can't find money any other way, then you know then you must. And I've done that. Um, you know what we said earlier. Where are you going to find? 50 or 100 or $150,000 in investment capital. I mean, that takes an extraordinary amount of discipline and time to save. So it does accrue in your house, uh, a compression of local cap rates or, you know, valuation raising of homes of 14% three years in a row. And all of a sudden you've created 80 or $90,000 worth of value in your home. That's not you. And that's the whole market doing it. And that's enormous amount of leverage and it creates wealth. That's where most people are finding these homeowners line of credits in market forces that are beyond their control that put wealth in their lap if they can access it safely. Why should you use it when there's no other option? Like if you, if this is the option and this is the deal and you're certain of it, it'd be hard to turn down a really great deal just for, uh, for a philosophy. So I have, we bought, my brother and I used our homeowners line, their credits to, bought a, to buy a 17 unit apartment out of receivership in Southern Ontario. It was 464,000 plus closing costs. And we each put down 50% of the required cost and closing costs with our lines of credit. We could do that because we had lines of credit on our private homes and we just paid it out. And that means we could buy it out of the Mississauga something Croatian credit unions clutches for cash and we closed simply in three days with a lawyer. It was really simple, too easy to buy 17 units of misery. And then we worked on it for nine years to make it worth 1.1 million. Um, we did it because we must, we were compelled to do it because we thought this is a great deal and got and get us into the market. And that's why and how we did it. But yeah, it made sense. And we replaced that financing within two years with a CMHC insured mortgage from a uh, top five bank, it was a CIBC for $650,000. So we realized significant uh, return of our capital, the monies we put in and replaced it with secured money uh, and put our homeowners line of credits back intact, brought it back down to zero. So Darcy, was that the, was that the plan from the start? Is it you were going to move it into other financing in like, yeah. the two year mark? Yeah. The only uncertainty was how fast we could get it into the hands of another bank. And because it's a small property, in a tertiary market, um, an older building, we had a lot of work to do. We we were ready with a stabilized building, full, renovated, ready to go within 16 months. But it took another almost year to get banks interested in something, firstly, that small and in that market. Um, yeah, it was just harder. It turned the wheel slower. So it sat on our lines of credit. And in those times, Line of credits, we had prime minus. Right now, people are looking at prime plus one and a half and prime sitting at 6.7. So you might be looking at six, seven point seven point eight nine, almost 8%. If you use your homeowner line of credit right now, you may get somewhere between 50 to 80% of your home's value based on your credit rating, but that's fairly expensive money. So you got to build into your plan if you're attempting to use this, a return that's going to cover that. Um, that's a fairly aggressive play right now are you going to find something that's going to produce cash flow quickly to cover 18 months to two years of operational shortfalls while you turn it around that might suggest you're looking at a flip 
or a very distressed property, or you're only putting some of your money in from this source and you're bringing it from somewhere else. Was um, your underwriting having paying your own credit or paying your lines of credit? Was that part of the underwriting? Yep. Yep. So we calculated in uh, 16 to 18 months of paying our interest yep. and we did it. We paid it out of our money that was, like Glenn said, our household budget. So yep. we were eating oatmeal for another year. <laughs> you know, my kids, my kids laughed Dad, dad, were we poor? Why do we eat oatmeal for 16 years? I thought well, you were being sarcastic. I didn't think you were being literal. I'm going dead serious. I've traumatized them. It's like 11 cents a serving. You can get a slow, like a high glycemic, slow releasing meal out of oatmeal <laughs> for like 11 cents a serving. Um, you can tart it up with some raisins and almonds and, and uh, brown sugar or syrup, but it's still super cheap. And they just laugh. This is part of our family's lore that we did this because we had to. Um, you know, we could have done it differently. I think we lost Darcy, but um, <laughs> Ari, um, I think we were basically wrapping this up anyway. You may as well take us home. We'll, we'll find Darcy and we'll have a conversation next week with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, thank you everybody for tuning in. And that's the beauty of real estate investing. You know, so many stories are even entrepreneurship. So, so many stories of people starting with credit card debt, nothing. Uh, but as long as you have uh, your numbers aligned, uh, there is a way. When there is a will, there is a way. I think that's the that's the lesson from, from what we've discussed today. Thank you everybody for tuning in. If you have any questions you'd like us to answer on the show, please email us at advancedreitalk at gmail.com. Advancedreitalk at gmail.com. See you next week. Yeah, everybody. Thanks, everyone.